Hey guys, I'm really happy to invite to the podcast uh, Emerald Robinson. She's the uh, White House correspondent of Newsmax TV. She used to work for the uh, One America News. And she's also been uh, writing extensively about the sort of, well, let's just call it the shenanigans on the right. A very important topic, a topic that hasn't been very well covered among conservatives and unconservative publications and even even on this podcast. Um, hey, Emerald, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. I'm back with Emerald Robinson, the White House correspondent for Newsmax. Now, uh, Emerald, you've been covering a topic that's a little bit sensitive. It's a little bit of a taboo, but it's a topic that, quite honestly, is very well known to me. It's the, let's call it the institutional conservative movement. Uh, we're talking here about the think tanks, places like the Heritage Foundation, the American Enterprise Institute, the Hoover Institution. Mm-hmm. I've actually been a fellow at all three. We're talking about uh, the conservative magazines like the National Review, the first magazine actually I wrote for right out of college. Right. Um, the now defunct Weekly Standard, the kind of never Trump apparatus, which at least originated on the right. And I think part of what you're saying, you're, the message I get is that there is a deep rot in institutional conservatism that the conservative activists and donors don't necessarily know about. Uh, Give a little bit of an overview of what this, where exactly this rot is, because I want to get to, obviously our end goal is to fix it, to come out stronger, but let's start by identifying the problem. Sure. Well, Probably the main problem with conservative conservatism Inc. is that it really only cares about the free market. It's not a movement for uh, the people. It's a movement for corporations. So they don't care if the free market provides porn, abortion, drugs. If people want them and there's a demand, then, you know, that's what they care about. So the people who only care about the free market become, quote unquote, libertarians. And libertarians really only care about low taxes. And uh, on our network, Newsmax, not too long ago, there was a, a former Trump appointee, a Trump administration advisor. His name was Christian Witten. And I thought he summed it up really well. He said, he said, there's a problem with conservatism where there are a lot of people who don't want to fight cultural issues, like the Heritage Foundation you just mentioned. They, they say they don't do cultural issues. But the problem is, Dinesh, is that is where the fight is today. And that's what we're seeing in a lot of these elections, like the Virginia election last night. Uh, so if you look at the Supreme Court and the rulings we just got from Justices Amy Coney Barrett and from Kavanaugh, even this conservative, supposed conservative court is letting down true conservative conservatism and what conservative Americans were promised. Uh, those two justices are already looking weak and the Federalist Society that that that, you know, put their names forward is looking like a joke. I mean, Barrett, Barrett basically looks like a liberal soccer mom. Uh, who's slightly to the right of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And here's what has happened. The whole conservative movement has essentially lost its way. And that's just half of those people. The other half basically got bought out by the left. So that's what happened when we're talking about National Review. That's what we're talking about when we talk about uh, Jonah Goldberg, who used to be with the National Review and got let go and then started the dispatch and the bulwark, which pretend to be conservative outlets, but take money from uh, big tech, from Facebook and from Google. So they're not concerned about big tech censorship that a lot of conservatives, regular Americans are experiencing because they're more concerned about getting the money from these big tech companies 
And that's what I, even though I cover the White House, I started talking to insiders and sources. And that's essentially what I broke um, back in 2018 about the weekly, uh, about the weekly standard and about national review. And the weekly standard has, you know, as you know, now become def defunct and, and folded. I mean, you're making an interesting point here, which is that on the one hand, these groups say we're not going to focus on cultural issues. We're, we're libertarians. Right. We care about libertarian issues. But even within libertarianism, it isn't just about taxes. It's also about basic civil liberties. And as far as I can see, none of these organizations have been front and center protecting churches and religious liberty, protecting free speech, the right to assembly. All those rights have been grossly violated, particularly now under COVID. And it seems like this institutional conservatism, if we can call it that, has been at best on the sidelines. They have. And again, uh, number one, a lot of it, like I said, comes down to that they just don't care about the cultural issues. They care more about taxes and corporations. But secondly, that they are paid to not care and to look the other way. So like in 2018, uh, there were rumors going around D.C. I was told by several solid sources that there was an audio tape of Google executives who uh, have been recorded telling their their colleagues, their fellow employees that Google generously donated to conservative think tanks, uh, you know, big groups that we thought of as on the forefront of the conservative movement at the time, AEI, CEI, the Cato Institute, CPAC, the Weekly Standard, the National Review. And essentially this executive was saying, we paid them to uh, water, to help water down legislation that would, that would hold big tech accountable for their censorship and uh, the, their policing of content. But what was crazy to Nash is I kept hearing this. I wasn't, I wasn't given the story to run with. And I waited because it was given to the Wall Street Journal and months went by and months went by and the Wall Street Journal barely did a piece finally that really buried the story it almost provided co cover for these groups and so i did finally tweet about it that uh these never trump magazines and and think tanks took money to suppress uh stories about the bias of conservative trump's uh conservatives and trump supporters that really unleashed people like jonah goldberg who who said that did not happen but then he had he went and asked the National Review and he had to backtrack that and admit that they had taken money. He said that they had supported their dinners. They gave him money, you know, for their dinners. And that's how they got money. But he was saying, oh, but that's not really taking money. So then they started admitting it. We started seeing more. And now they still work with big tech, but they're more blatant about it because they actually do full page ads. But that's a problem, because if these are the conservative beacons, the conservative, uh, you know, intellectual magazines, and they don't have the interest of conservative thought and free speech, uh, you know, as, as they're as what they're writing about or, or advocating for. Then what are they conserving? I have yet to see what they've really managed to conserve in decades, except for their uh, their invites to to coveted uh, parties here in Washington D.C. and their invitations to come on MSNBC. Well, you know, Emerald, I think. What struck me is that over the years, these organizations like Hoover and AEI uh, and Heritage have really lost influence. I mean, they're not influencing legislation. Yeah. They're not influencing the culture. But one thing that they have mastered is the art of cultivating a donor. 
Uh, I remember I was at a conference years ago with very eminent people, Henry Kissinger and so on. And I noticed that these speakers, like Kissinger, weren't asked to speak. Uh, in fact, it was the donors who were offering comments to these guys. And so I went up to the, at that time, head of AEI and I said, isn't this strange? We're going to a conference, but instead of asking these luminaries to talk, you have the donors talking. And he goes, that's because the whole event is for the donors. People don't want to go home and tell their friends, Henry Kissinger told me. They want to tell their friends, I told Henry Kissinger. So then I realized how clever these organizations have become in massaging the vanity of people and sort of getting money out of their wallets. But my point is, I wouldn't mind all that if, if I felt that they were using the money effectively. But the point is, we can just see what is it that these organizations have done lately to advance the cause. I think the answer is a whopping nothing. Nothing. And just as you said, it's for the donors because the Weekly Standard, the National Review, lost their readership. That's that's really one reason uh, the the owners of the Weekly Standard pulled the plug. They just didn't have an audience. There was no audience for anti-American America first uh, commentary. And so when I heard, I, I got a call from a uh, source who was helping to do the downsizing to to help close up shop. And they alerted me that this was going to happen. I happened to be in Brussels with Secretary Pompeo at the time. And I, I confirmed it with several other sources on the Weekly Standard and uh, put that out there. And Stephen Hayes, remember Stephen Hayes, who had touted himself as such an influential conservative. He was always on Brett Baer's show until, until I wrote the uh, Collapse of the Never Trump uh, conservatives article. And then there was an, a washout of Brett Bear's panel. In fact, Brett Bear's, one of his personal assistants called me and, and screaming at me saying, you don't know what you've done. Look what you've done. And just a few days later, it was announced that Stephen Hayes would be leaving on a one-year sabbatical to Spain. Um, and some of the other never Trumpers weren't, weren't back on the panel for some time. But um, they came in and closed up shop. Clarity Media called me. I, I thought this was crazy. I couldn't believe it at the time called me and asked who I, what I thought about their personnel, who they should keep, who they should move over to the examiner. And what they ended up doing was closing up the entire shop. I mean, this is and, a huge topic, uh, Emerald. We're just going to touch upon it today. I mean, you point out in one of your articles that in, lot, the, right? in, in 10 years, from 2009 to 2019, the Heritage Foundation alone raised nearly a billion dollars. So uh, demanding accountability for this money and, and making sure that this is not money, that these precious resources aren't being like put down a black hole on the right. This is something we're going to have to cover uh, cover some more. Um it, yeah. And I would just like to say, too, when we talk about the money going from Google to outlets like the National Review, they say, well, it had no bearing on our coverage. You know, we still did articles, but that's not true. In fact, I talked to people who regularly wrote, specifically one person who regularly wrote for the National Review, and the National Review, Review killed every article this person put forth on big tech censorship. So Very that's interesting. what this money is doing. Emerald, thanks for coming on. I'll have to have you back uh, some other time to delve into depth. There's just a lot of granular detail here, but it I want to just let my listeners um, know that this is not a topic I intend to drop. I realize it's sort of a, uh, it's a little bit of a minefield, but we have to demand this kind of accountability because we want a lean, mean right going forward. Thanks, Emerald Robinson, for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's so good to be on with you. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.
all the men gone? That's the focus of tonight's angle. Now, once relegated to women's studies, classrooms, and college campuses, the phrase toxic masculinity entered our cultural vernacular a few years ago. Now, this was around the time that the American Psychological Association jumped in to warn that males who socialize to conform to traditional masculinity ideology are often negatively affected in terms of mental and physical health. Well, the argument is that boys are conditioned to be tough and not show weakness. That's a bad thing, I guess. And then by suppressing boys' feelings, their emotions, then they're likely to be more prone to violence or aggression, more likely to end up in prison or in trouble at school. And people who work in gender studies programs, they're dead set against the old confining rules of masculinity. And you'll see this in a highly produced Hollywood <clears throat> conversation. I think there's a model about being a real man in America. And I think sometimes that model is at more sort of stoic, hard, tough, etc. My friend Joe Ehrman, who used to be a professional football player, says that he remembers his father just saying to him, be a man. Man up. Toughen up. Don't be a girl. This is how far we've fallen in America. Telling a boy not to be a girl, I guess, is now considered abusive. We're in an upside-down world, my friends, and I think more people now see right through the attempt that they're uh, making to kind of wrap their attacks on traditional gender roles around an anti-bullying campaign. Well, that's absurd because real men do not bully. We know that. Real men don't beat their wives. We know that. Real men don't hurt animals or children. We know that. All decent people agree on that. And by the way, long before the phrase gender fluid popped up, good parents told their sons both to be a man and to be courageous, valiant, compassionate. Now, I heard my friend's father say, stop whining and be a man. And he was complaining about something. He said it a lot, actually. It didn't hurt my buddy one bit. He's a great dad today. But today, the radical left has one goal in mind. It's to destroy the underpinnings of the nuclear family by targeting the distinct parental roles that fathers and mothers play. Ideally, come on, we all know this, it's better for children to be raised by a mother and a father who are present and involved. Now, we also all know that single moms and dads do their best, but it's much harder. God bless them all. And I say this as a single mom myself. Yet somehow... This idea of the traditional roles, it's threatening to the radicals who see the traditional family, especially traditionally minded men, as an impediment to the ultimate goal of the left of socialism and rewriting of American history. Now, remember, Black Lives Matter had the disruption of the nuclear family as one of its main goals. Hmm. Now, the entertainment industry joined the anti-family, anti-masculinity crusade long ago. In television and films, male protagonists are often portrayed as kind of goofy, helpless, uh, you know, helpless uh, saps or gender-fluid geniuses. From the dance class to the ballroom. I made a song! Oh, 
<laughs> it's only been since Thanksgiving, but it feels like forever. <laughs> Newsflash for Hollywood. Women want men to be men. Obviously, they also want men to be honest and kind and sacrificial and humble as well. But as an old friend used to say, most women I know, even women who work outside the home, prefer a man who will protect, provide, and defend. And we don't want men who will elbow us out of the way to primp in the mirror or men whose idea of a fun afternoon is getting a mani-pedi and a facial. No. Remember the man, by the way, the Obama people used in ads to push Obamacare? Well, even Morning Joe all those years ago couldn't stop laughing at him. This guy Which looks, is funny. It looks like, like, <laughs> like Jim Van Dyke. It you're, looks you're like dead. he's out of a bad <laughs> vampire week. <laughs> Of course, all the Pajama Boy fans are totally shocked that young men are flocking to non-effeminate men like Jordan Peterson, who wrote 12 Rules for Life. And they're especially furious that millions are tuning in to listen to manly men like Joe Rogan. Toxic masculinity, which is, that's a hilarious expression, because you need to thank toxic masculinity for all the bridges, all the all the jets, all the rockets, all this toxic masculinity. If you break down all the things that men have invented and all these toxic men have prevented like you from being murdered in war and protected the country and all the, all the different things that you could attribute to toxic masculinity, most of it's positive. That's why people listen to him. Now, the fact is the natural instinct of most men is to protect women but that's slowly being beaten out of them by angry feminists or overly feminine men who love submissive types. This seems especially to be the case in more liberal urban areas. And the consequences are horrifying. Now, something that happened in a Manhattan subway car when a woman told a perturbed African-American man to take a chill pill, watch. Yo, you wildin'. She a female. What? That's OD. Well, that went on and on, but notice what didn't happen. Not a single man on that train intervened. A more shocking incident took place in Philly last week when a woman was raped on the L train with other passengers aboard. Not a single one did anything to help her. And earlier this week in San Francisco, it was a young woman who chased down a man who pushed an elderly Asian lady to the ground. When the woman confronted the assailant, she was stabbed three times. Where were the men? Frankly, the mass feminization of men should trouble women the most. The victims in all those heinous attacks were women who were overpowered by bad men. And because the cultural elites and institutions have spent years villainizing masculinity, there were no good men willing to step in to save them. And that's the angle. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. So 
New York, of course, because it's now governed by leftist policies ever since Giuliani left and Bloomberg left because he was not a leftist, uh, is, is devolving back into the 1970s when it was the most dangerous city outside of Calcutta. And it's become a dangerous city again. And this video went around the other day of a woman being assaulted on the subway. This crazy guy gets on and he punches her uh, on the subway. And it's a, it's a horrible video. She was saying, you know, get out of my face. And he just slugged her. Everybody who saw it said exactly the same thing. Everybody who saw it said exactly the same thing. Why didn't any of the men do anything? I said it. Everybody said it. Why didn't any of the men doing it do anything? Because we all know that coming with a male body, existing in a male body, comes along with certain responsibilities. And if it comes along with certain responsibilities, it also comes along with certain privileges. The same is true of a woman's body. It comes along with certain different responsibilities and different pri- privileges. Gender is a reality. It's the first reality of your body. Your body is your first contact with reality and gender is the first reality about your body. And imagination to be healthy has to be in an interplay with your body as it exists. So this is they, this is the target of people who want the power over reality that allows them to be free in their profits and their gathering power. But it causes us to be trapped inside the metaverse, inside this imaginary world, world that they control. Dave Chappelle, right? He did that show and they're still attacking him. And he had a funny line where he said, you know, they keep saying they keep saying that I, I make transgender people uh, feel unsafe. But the only person who's unsafe is me because it's his followers. The, the bullies always do this. The bullies always pretend that they're the ones who are being bullied. And they've done this. They've beaten up uh, Chappelle's supporters. They've torn apart their signs. Uh, they've made they've made it impossible for him to get his documentary uh, shown you know, uh, displayed, they've really tried to hurt his career and they keep saying, oh, but we're unsafe. We're unsafe, which is a lie. One of Chappelle's best jokes in his, in this standup uh, was a joke he made about Bruce Jenner, who is now Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, this is cut 33. Caitlyn Jenner, whom I've met, wonderful person, Caitlyn Jenner was voted woman of the year. Her first year as a woman. Ain't that something? Beat every bitch in Detroit. She's better than all of you. Never even had a period. Ain't that something? Because Chappelle wasn't attacking transgender people, as anyone who saw the entire show would know. He was not attacking transgender people. He was doing what a man does. He was protecting women. He was doing what no one on that subway did. He was protecting women because transgender people are trying to erase women who have natural rights and responsibilities that are different from men's, but they are no doubt still the first part of the reality of their lives. So to destroy these natural truths, they have to bully you into saying they're not there. And we've talked before about the left's idea that if they can change, if they can silence everybody who speaks the truth, the lie will become the truth. This works an amazing 0% of the time. But here's a perfect example of this bullying taking place. Rachel Levine, this guy who thinks he's a woman... A character out of Monty Python walking around in pearls in this long uh, hat. You know, he's appointed, what is he appointed? A four-star admiral from the health department or some, it just an, an entire fantasy. And Jim Banks, a congressman from Indiana, gets suspended from Twitter because he tweeted the title of first female four, four-star officer gets taken by a man. And here's the headline from CBS News, right? The CBS, which used to be the standard of great news, Representative Jim Banks suspended from Twitter 
after misgendering trans health official Dr. Rachel Levine. And the first sentence, the lead is U.S. Representative Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, has been suspended from Twitter after using the wrong pronouns in a tweet about Assistant Secretary of Health Dr. Rachel Levine, who is transgender. So the two words there, misgender to mean he used the correct gender and the wrong pronouns to mean he used the right pronouns, all right? So the entire language is being rewritten. The entire meaning is rewritten. So take a look at these two melon heads from CNN, uh, Miss Brian Stelter and Jim, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta. You know, and again, the, the audience for this is some guy about to catch his, you know, noon flight for Santa Fe. But still, this is them talking about this incident, two absolute bastions of protection of free speech. He portrays himself as a bold truth teller when the real truth is that he's transphobic. That's what he's revealing through this comment about Dr. Rachel Levine. He says he's been banned. He's only been temporarily locked. Twitter does this a lot to different users, including even members of Congress, uh, because he's in violation of Twitter's hateful conduct policy. By all means, people don't like the policy. Then let's debate it. Let's argue about it. But what he's revealing through his seemingly bold truth telling tweet is just that he's engaging in transphobia. Right. Be a human being. People are people. I mean, why tweet stuff like that? That's the thing I don't I don't understand. And you're a member of Congress. I mean, you shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. Are we the baddies? Yeah, you are the baddies, Jim and Brian. You are the baddies. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. All through human history, all through human history, from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden to this very moment, men and women have been the central dividing line in, in human beings. Right. Every single, it's a universal human truth that every single society on earth distinguishes between men and women and gives men and women different roles in their society. This is universal. It doesn't happen any, there's no place where it doesn't happen. Sometimes the New York Times will find like some archaeologist who discovers a grave and there's a woman's body in there and there's a sword. And so see, in that culture, women were the warriors. No, they weren't. In every society, women and men have different roles, and that that and those are not the way those roles work. So that's true through all of history. There is zero new science to disprove that. There is no new science showing that to be untrue, showing the natural observation of human beings to be untrue. What there are is there are theories from politically motivated professors, and if you read their books, they're almost unreadable because the theories are so uh, the, the language is used to obfuscate rather than to clarify their ideas because their ideas are ridiculous. Then to enforce those theories, which have no scientific backing and yet change all of human history, to enforce that, they make up a propaganda word, transphobia. And these two morons, Acosta and Stelter, these two knuckleheads haven't got the simple integrity to say, you know, <laughs> If all of human history says one thing and there's no new science and they invent a word, maybe we should talk to Jim Banks instead of calling him names. Maybe instead of using, since we're news people, since we're people who are supposed to give information, maybe we shouldn't use words that are completely devoid of information but are simply slurs. Transphobia is a slur. Jim Banks is not phobic about transgender people. It's a slur used to silence people. And what's the target? Why do they want to take your body away? Why do they want to take the facts of your body away and pollute? your imagination and sicken your imagination is because the body is the standard of individuality. It's the base of individuality. It's the origin of 
individuality. It's when you die, you die alone, and that is what gives you your life, your individual life. The individual gets in the way of the hive mind. The hive mind is what makes Mark Zuckerberg a rich man and Jack Boots Dorsey a rich man. It's what makes guys like George Soros and the people in Davos think that, oh, you know, I can just organize all these people because they're just in a hive. And they even they make speeches about it. I'm not just making, I'm just not, not just accusing them. They even say, we've got to get rid of the idea of the individual. We've got to get rid of the idea of the individual because he just mucks things up. And what they mean by things is their sweet, sweet cash. That's what they mean. Hey, if you want more great content like this, subscribe and like us.